This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hi, and welcome to Self Work. This is Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist. I lived and worked in Fayetteville, Arkansas now almost 30 years. And I started self-work now almost five years ago, believe it or not, in order to extend the walls of my practice to those of you who might already be interested in psychological issues, to those of you who might just have been diagnosed with something and you're looking for answers, but to also a group of you that might say you'd never darken the door of a therapist, but you're just curious or unhappy enough to listen. I also have to welcome us back right now because we've been on a two-week vacation. Hope you enjoyed all the extra bonus episodes. They were fun to put together. It's been long known in the field of trauma that people who survive a car wreck, a mass shooting, or now a worldwide viral pandemic can often struggle with questions about why they survived while someone right next to them or someone they loved did not. Parents who buried their children, teachers who saw students gunned down, And of course, it's a huge part of the PTSD felt by soldiers returning from war or anyone going through trauma. So today's episode, sponsored by Athletic Greens, focuses on surviving your own guilt. But survivor's guilt can also exist in a milder or perhaps we should say a more subtle form. Someone's house that remains standing after a tornado destroys others' homes. A mom with three children whose best friend can't get pregnant. Someone whose family openly accepted them as gay, while a partner's family disowned them. We'll talk about getting help, and how what's termed a window of tolerance is necessary for healing to occur. And we'll also discuss the different emotional reactions people can have to avoid their grief, anger, shame, and blame being chief among them. Our listener email is from someone whose teenager has come to them, telling them he's gay, And they turn to me for advice on where to go for good advice. I'll do my best to let them and you know. So welcome back to Self Work. Sit back and listen and learn. As many mental health experts have been reminding us, no one has lived through these past few months and even more than a year with COVID and its horrors without dealing with their own fear. Maybe you felt paralyzed. Maybe you've isolated. Maybe you stayed in denial and adopted a belief that it's all made up and there's nothing to be afraid of, only for a friend or neighbor to die from COVID. Maybe you've rolled up your sleeves and done whatever you could to feed people or to care for them medically or to help the children find a way to remain playful and hopeful about life. Teachers have taught, nurses and doctors have treated, pastors have prayed, plumbers and electricians have helped keep things running normally, transit workers and bus drivers and city workers in sanitation have tried to keep our system from imploding. Maybe you found compassion for others. Maybe you're trying to find your courage. Maybe you've given to charities at home and abroad. Maybe you're a therapist and you've done your best to hand out compassion and understanding for these not-at-all-normal times, or as we pray, that they won't become our new normal. As countries that are still vastly underdeveloped, as well as families from minorities, have borne a disproportionate loss, 
and that may add to your sense of survivor's guilt. Plus, we're only beginning to understand what the symptoms of long COVID might be. If someone in your life has gone on relatively normally, or if you got a mild case of COVID but it wasn't a big deal, you can wonder, why not me? How have I been protected or lucky or not in the wrong place at the wrong time? Why am I privileged? Whether it's the fact of not living in terrifically close quarters or of having people around you that influenced you to seek treatment or use safety precautions, whatever, you may be feeling survivor's guilt because you may be alive for no overt rational reason other than you are and I am. And even if the reasons are rational, the guilt can overwhelm you. In fact, there's a new term called sideline guilt that has been described by medical professionals who've watched so many people die alone. So, so many. There are studies coming out now to try to discover why some people develop survivor's guilt and others do not. First, if you tend to be someone who has put other people's needs before your own, you may be more prone to develop it. Or if you can somehow find a way that you could be blamed. I worked with a young college student years ago that always drove himself and his friends on an annual hunting trip. This one time, he didn't go. And his best friend who was driving was killed when their truck rammed into a tree. He thought, I was a better driver. I should either be the one dead or everyone should be alive. So the pandemic and covid have put many people in the situation where they might feel survivor's guilt. And even your grief can be outweighed by the amount of guilt that you feel, as well as the inability to answer the question, why? Here's a quote from a really outstanding article that's on a major counseling site. I will have that in your show notes. And here's the quote. It's really important for clinicians to help individuals get to a place where they are able to understand that they'll never have the answers and that they can't stay rooted on the why. You have to find a way to project those whys into or onto something else, Glazer says. Otherwise, the why can consume you and it can become such a part of your identity. What does she mean by projecting the whys onto something else? She suggests literally seeing them float away without an answer, where you have to accept that closure isn't possible when something isn't rational. Or maybe you realize how many things about life we may want to know the why of it, but we really don't, ever. Some people may offer you pat answers about that based on their own belief system, but healing from grief sometimes has to incorporate not knowing the why. And as I heard on the podcast, Terrible Thanks for Asking the other day, she made the distinction between moving on, which she says she will never do because the loss is too great, the loss of her 35-year-old husband from very, very painful brain cancer. And she suggests healing involves moving forward. And that's what people who have survivor's guilt or who experience it have to do. They have to move forward, as hard as it is, and one day at a time, with support from a therapist, from friends, from family, from your town, from your region. We all have to move forward together. But there's also another huge element in survivor's guilt, and it is this guilt about moving forward. 
We'll talk more about that after this message from Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens came on board SelfWork now a few months ago with an offer for SelfWork listeners to try their product. And because of being a SelfWork listener, you'd receive bonus products as a gift with a subscription. I don't really know how many of you have tried it, but quite a few I can tell. And I'd love to hear from you about how you're feeling. Please email me at askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com because I'd love to share your experience here on SelfWork. So some of you are saying, what is Athletic Greens? It's a life-changing nutritional habit. Their daily all-in-one superfood power is your nutritional essential. It's by far the easiest and most delicious nutritional habit that you can add to your daily routine today and empower yourself toward better habits. And it's a lot more pleasant than eating celery, I promise you. I've never liked powdered things, but this one isn't too sweet, but also not too grainy. And I look forward to it in the morning. You're actually just getting optimal nutrition on a daily basis And you don't have to take multiple supplements, just one thing. I take a scoop a day and know that I'm getting 75 vitamins, minerals, whole food source ingredients, including a multivitamin, multimineral, probiotic, green superfood, and more. In fact, I just had my annual OBGYN appointment, and his last words to me were, make sure you're getting enough D3, and the supplement you receive as the self-work bonus with the subscription contains both D3 and K2. So I smiled and said, well, I got that. I hope you'll try it. Both my husband and I love it and have kept it up now for several months because it's making a difference. So here's the link, athleticgreens.com slash self-work. That's, of course, HTTPS colon slash slash athleticgreens.com slash self-work. And I'll have that link for you in the show notes. I had a thought as I listened to this infomercial for Athletic Greens. Even things like caring for yourself or caring what happens to you can be a strong part of survivor's guilt. You just don't care. Even having a moment or an hour or a couple of hours where the despair you've been feeling seems to fade a bit. Maybe you laugh at a friend's joke or you appreciate a sunset or you hear your child squeal at running around in the yard and then suddenly you're hauled back into the reality of what's happened. And that reality can seem like it will never be forgotten and the horror of it will never end. But it needs to. Here's another quote. When there's an element of survivor's guilt on top of grief, they feel ashamed or guilty for having any joy because that's disrespectful to this other person, she explains. For example, when a child dies, parents may not want to change the child's room because they feel guilty about moving forward and seemingly dismissing their child and or the loss of their child. It can feel like you're abandoning the person you lost or the strangers that were wounded or the victims of the fires. Carrying that guilt around with you every day in a strange way keeps you connected to them except for the fact that just think about what they would want. They wouldn't want you to die along with them, but it can certainly feel like you want to. And taking the time to find more reasons to live and reasons why they'd want you to do just that can be vital. In episode 233, when I interviewed Dr. Shauna Springer, she talked eloquently about 
how this very shame is the major hurdle for warriors returning from battle. It's not the thing they saw or experienced that causes their PTSD, but the shame over themselves being alive while people they led or were buddies with or who stood together with them are not. And that's what takes time and healing. I believe this notion of moving forward while still honoring your loss and the loss of life of your friend or partner or family member is vital to heal. It's the sense of never forgetting, but moving forward with what those relationships and those people meant to you and will always mean to you. But what else can get in the way of healing from survivor's guilt? Anger and bitterness. Your survivor's guilt can seep into your bones. Instead of calling it guilt, you find the thing or the person or the entity to blame. And you either seek revenge or you sabotage your own life and others who might also be grieving because you stay so angry. It's been my experience that anger is far easier to feel than sadness or loss. It, too, is a stage of grief. But when you get stuck in it, when you get stuck in the anger, you can feel as if you're honoring the one lost by not forgiving, by finding blame, no matter how irrational. A listener wrote in about just this situation. She says, But there's more to the story. My sister was riding together with my husband when the accident happened, motorcycle accident. We were all very enthusiastic riders. We took every chance to be on our motorcycles, riding as a group, and my favorite, riding together, just the two of us, the two sisters. That day was the first time my husband rode with my sister alone. The accident was unquestionably the fault of the other driver, who performed an illegal U-turn off the highway off-ramp. My husband was leading, he was hit, but managed to stay on the bike and avoided collision. My sister was right behind him, and she had no time or place to escape, and she hit the car on the driver's side door. The impact killed her instantly. She even got trapped under the car, and my husband had to help lift the car to pull her out. I can't even begin to imagine what he went through that day, because my own grief is so consuming. I can only think of my own loss. And then, to make things worse, my parents blame my husband for the accident, although, rationally, it was not his fault. They don't say it outright or out loud, but I know that blame is there through the comments they make. I work very hard to protect my husband and myself from their blame, but I also understand that they are grieving parents. And they are my parents. And this is my husband. And, of course, She was my sister. I'm sure you can hear how this woman's family, her own parents, aren't looking at things rationally, but needing to blame to remain in anger. And it's only causing what her sister would probably never have wanted, her family unable to grieve together and honor her memory in a way that would be very special to all of them and even bond them more together. She also sounds as if she's struggling to have empathy with her husband, and I want to normalize that. It's very common for people to have hugely different timetables for their grief. One may stay angry while another can't seem to be angry at all. One person may move more quickly through their grief than others do. That's why grief can at times be so lonely, because everybody grieves at their own pace. 
and the stages that they stay in or tend to feel more intensely can be very different. As you all know, I like to focus on what you can do about it. And I learned a term in researching this episode that I knew about just using my common sense, but I didn't know it had a name. And that term is a window of tolerance. If you're a mediator type or you help people resolve conflict, you probably know this concept as well. And here it is. Here's the window. When someone is hyper aroused, when they're angry or disorganized or their mind is racing, they're searching desperately for answers. It's not the time to try to help them move forward or calm them. They won't be able to tolerate feelings that they're avoiding, feelings of deep sadness or remorse or despair. It's that very hyper-arousal that will get in their way. It would be like trying to pet a dog right after they've been attacked. They'll snarl and bite at you, still reeling from the attack. But the other end of the spectrum of that window is hypo-arousal. Someone who is sunk into a deep apathy or depression or just not feeling anything at all, except for hopelessness. They don't have the mental or emotional energy necessary at that time to even try to trudge through what they're feeling or thinking. I remember a mom I worked with whose daughter had died in a random accident. She said one day, people tell you that you'll feel like you're in hell. And they're right. What they don't tell you is how many times you'll descend into that hell, only to come up for a bit and then descend even deeper once again. There were times working with her where I recognized she was far away from that window of tolerance, that time when no other feeling but the one that was most pressing for her to feel at that moment was available to her. And my job as her therapist was to sit with her while she explored those feelings. She could not move forward. She needed time. Whether you're a friend, a family member, a counselor, whatever, you cannot force that window. Now, obviously, if the person themselves is becoming self-destructive, actions need to be taken and further treatment sought. But understanding the importance of waiting for that window is vital. Sometimes that can mean helping someone simply breathe more fully Or relax the muscles in their face. Sometimes you just help someone be in their body more deeply. If they can tolerate that, perhaps they cannot. So that in and of itself can take time because we hold tension and emotions in our body. So finding that window of tolerance or recognizing when someone has reached it can be important if you're a friend or a family member and you're trying to help someone move forward. But know that it takes time. Know that many of us in 2021 are experiencing our own kind of survivor's guilt. Some will be able to talk about it. Some will not. Some won't feel it. But it's an important concept for all of us to keep in mind as we all move forward. Let's hear this very poignant speak pipe message from a listener and his wife. Hi, Dr. Margaret. I'm a big fan and listening from Texas, and our 16-year-old son just came out to us and told us he was gay. And we want to support him, but we're afraid because so many people in our community aren't very supportive. Do you know any place someone can go to that's a parent 
for children that come out. Thank you so much. We didn't know where else to go. Although I've worked with many gay people and couples in my practice, I've not treated teenagers for years. So what I did is I searched on websites that I truly trust for sources for these loving parents. And they are included in the show notes from the website Grown and Flown that I think have wonderful ideas. I read the articles, and what was obvious was supporting, believing, and letting your adolescent talk, not calling it a stage, offering mental and emotional help, helping them find mentors who are also gay. Here's one paragraph I thought summed up your approach very well. Not all gay teens will come out to their parents, but for the ones who do, the words, I am gay, are first whispered to themselves in the safety of their own rooms. Then, when ready, these words are said out loud. And finally, often with their hearts beating, their stomach in knots, these words are spoken to their parents. It is then, very often, teens have said they feel like they can breathe again. Some have been holding their breath for months and others for years. In fact, I've worked with much older adults who have this same knot in their stomach when they tell their parents and finally feel that they can breathe. So that fear can be very, very real. And sadly, it's a reality for many that they lose their families, at least temporarily, if not permanently, when coming out. Or I've also had people as patients where their families accepted them being gay quite readily, but they themselves can question how their family really handled it, not quite believing that ready acceptance. It can be a complex issue but one that's so worth taking the time to understand and feel what you need to feel. What do I mean? Feel what you need to feel? Because you might have struggles. What if you have beliefs or simply immense concerns about how much more difficult your child's life may be if they are gay and certainly if they are trans? Perhaps you feel as if they will be living a life that you don't understand or can't help them with. Basically, the best thing you can do is to get into therapy yourself. Educate yourself. Try not to let what your own feelings are get in the way of being there for your teenager. They'll be highly tuned into you, and you certainly won't be perfect. But you can also find someone who has walked this path, who's an adult like you, and let them help you as well. Ask for help from people who've walked this walk. And I'm sure many people will be eager to guide you. Good luck. I can't tell you how happy I am to be back with you here in mid-July. I really missed doing the podcast. I do hope that you enjoyed the bonus episodes that we offered. We've got some great things coming up both interviews and I hope topics that will be interesting to you. Thank you for the many reviews you've left on Amazon for Perfectly Hidden Depression. Those keep coming in. I gave my first course for therapists within the first few days of this month, and it was so exciting to be talking to my fellow clinicians about Perfectly Hidden Depression. But if you're someone who struggles with control, who struggles with even allowing yourself to express what is painful emotion for you, I hope that the book, Perfectly Hidden Depression, might help you. 
And of course, for those of you who've reviewed Self Work wherever you listen, but especially on Apple Podcasts, since they are the largest platform that I'm on, I cannot tell you how much those both ratings and reviews mean to me. And right now, I'm right at about 980 reviews. I would love when I hit my five-year anniversary for self-work in mid-October that we'd reach 1,000 ratings and reviews. That would be so cool. (laughs) So thank you so much. If you've left that on Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever you listen, I'm more than appreciative. And tell your friends, share these episodes with people that you believe might benefit from listening to self-work. There are many ways of reaching out to me. You can email me at askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. You can leave a SpeakPipe voicemail message for me that we'll use here on the podcast. That's here in the show notes as well as on drmargaretrutherford.com. You can sign up at the website and you'll get a weekly newsletter that has my podcast as well as my blog post for the week and maybe news of what I'm doing or other news I think you might find interesting, but just one newsletter, I promise. And you can also join my closed Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. It's a very supportive group and one that I'm very proud to both participate in and lead. Thanks again so much for being here. Please take very good care, especially if you are dealing with any kind of survivor's guilt, as many people are. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been self